You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to NeuroFrontiers, produced in cooperation with the American Academy of Neurology. Your host is Dr. Anthony Alessi. Smell and taste loss can be the first sign of neurologic disorder like Parkinson's disease or Alzheimer's. How do patients deal with this loss of their everyday senses? Dr. Ronald DeVere, fellow of the American Academy of Neurology and director of the Taste and Smell Disorders Clinic in Austin, Texas, joins me to discuss his new book, Navigating Smell and Taste Disorders, published by the American Academy of Neurology on NeuroFrontiers. Dr. DeVere, welcome to ReachMD. Pleasure. Thank you, Tony. Dr. DeVere, can you share with our listeners an overview of the physiology behind taste and smell? I can. Let me make it very simple because I think it's something that isn't too complicated. We need to know some very basic facts. Number one, we have one smell organ in the nose, and that smell organ sends out some nerve fibers that uh, pass into the skull where the nose is and goes into a structure called a, a bulb, which is a bunch of nerves, and that takes it into the brain. And the main purpose of the smell organ is, in addition, obviously, smell capability, but it's exceedingly important to identify flavors. So when you eat your food and you can pick up chocolate, vanilla, certain flavors, that depends on an intact smell organ. Now, let's leave that for a minute and let's go into the taste system. A lot of us don't separate taste and flavors because that's just not the way we talk in normal lingo. But there is a difference from the system. The taste system is really characteristic of five tastes. They're basic tastes. We all know them. Sweet, sour, bitter, salt. And another one that uh, we don't think of, but it's savory. And the Japanese call it umami, U-M-A-M-I. And the best example of that is really MSG, monosodium glutamate, which is really a basic broth, savory taste. So now, in the last five years, there is five basic tastes. That goes through the taste receptors, which are present in your tongue, in your palate, and the pharynx. And they're spread all over the place. Unlike a smell organ, which you only have one, you have taste receptors through your entire mouth. So the next important piece of information to know that's anatomy is that In order to identify texture, temperature, and spice, and we know what spice is, you know, salsa, wasabi, horseradish, mustard, that doesn't go through the taste or the smell system. It goes through the tiny sensory nerves mouth. So when you go to the dentist and he freezes your mouth to drill, those are the nerves he's freezing. It's the sensory nerves that subserve spice, texture, and temperature. So if you know those things, basically that you have flavors and smell with the scepters, taste, sweet, sour, bitter, salt, and you have the sensory nerves in the mouth for texture, temperature, and spice, that's the basis in trying to help people and understand what you can do for them when there's an impairment in one of those systems. And that's the bread and butter of the whole field. How do we go about diagnosing a disorder of taste or smell? Well... The first thing, of course, if you're going to be a person that's having a problem, you're going to go see a doctor like you would any other symptom, headache, back pain, numbness. So we take a history, and, of course, there are two ways you're going to come in. One, you're going to come in because you tell me your smell is a problem, and that's obvious. But believe it or not, 90% of people who come to a doctor 
for the system of smell and taste come in and they tell you their taste is not good. Yeah, their smell is okay, but boy, if you don't enjoy your food and you're finding that everything tastes like wallboard, somehow your smell isn't that important, but they come in and say, well, you know, I really haven't been able to enjoy food. Everything is terrible. I can't taste my flavors. And 90% of those people, even though they don't tell you, have a smell disorder that they may or may not recognize because a primary taste disorder, which means normal smell and impaired taste, is much less common. It does occur, but very uncommon compared to disorders of smell. So people will come in and tell you most of the time they're having a disturbance in their taste, and that's what disturbs them more than anything. How do you go about quantifying these disorders? Well, there are two standardized tests that have been established. Uh, Dr. Richard Doty, who's the head of the Taste and Smell Clinic at the University of Pennsylvania, is a Ph.D., and he's one of the few guys around that spent his lifetime in this field. And he put together a standardized smell test. They call it the University of Pennsylvania Smell Identification Test. And what it does, it has 40 samples. Each sample has a little scratch-off, like a lottery ticket, and there's a capsule uh, of an odor in there. And then you have to choose what the odor is, and there are four choices. And he standardized that test for females and males and age in 1985, and that's been an excellent test. It's well used all over the world. It's not the only one. The Europeans have something similar called a stick, a felt pen at different concentrations, but the scratch-off is very easy to use. In the taste test, they have the, actually the Germans have come up with something called a taste strip. What they do is they give you a small filter paper, 16 different concentrations, either of sweet, sour, bitter, salt, and you just put it in your mouth, you tell them what you identify. Does it taste sweet or sour? And then there's a score. The average person should score 9 or 10 out of 16 versus somebody who has a primary taste disorder, which would be less. So they're still subjective, obviously. depends on you still quantitate it. Most people are honest, and they give you a good smell and a good taste test. So we use that as best as we can. There are some physiological tests, but they're very expensive, olfactory potentials. They don't always work. There's only a handful of people in the, probably in the world that use it, and it's, it's not available for anybody to use. But we're very, we feel that the taste tests that are out there are very good and reasonably standardized. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to NeuroFrontiers on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and joining us to discuss smell and taste disorders is Dr. Ronald DeVere, fellow of the American Academy of Neurology and director of the Taste and Smell Disorders Clinic in Austin, Texas. Dr. DeVere, what types of diseases do we see associated with loss of taste and smell? Well, that's a good question. The most common causes of somebody who walks in with a smell disorder, or as we said, has taste and we identify smell, are 20% or so will be from a chronic sinus infection, somebody who has recurrent sinus infections. The other 25%, uh, which is what caused my problem, because I lost my smell in 1996, is a bad virus. You get a bad cold, you get congested, but then when the cold goes away, you notice you don't smell, and the virus has caused injury to the smell organ. That makes up about 25% of people. Another one that's common is head trauma. If you bang your head uh, on the floor or a car accident, in 7% of those people, you'll get a damage to the smell system. So that makes up another 25. 
And then you have a smattering of the remainder, which includes medication. There are a number of medicines that can impair your smell. There are vitamin deficiencies like B12, thyroid deficiency, zinc deficiency. Not common, but we look for it. And then, of course, there's that category, as you know, in medicine called unknown, and uh, you never find that cause. So we look for all those mechanisms first. You also made a comment at the beginning of this talk, and you said Parkinson's and Alzheimer's people have it. Well, those people are not aware they have a smell problem. In fact, they never complain of it, but we know it occurs. And, of course, in those cases, the same pathology that causes Alzheimer's and causes Parkinson's does involve the olfactory system in the brain. And also we talked about the olfactory bulb, which is at the top of the nose. But those people, most of them are not aware that they have it. Dr. DeVere, are there ways of telling if a patient has some functional overlay to their examination? For example, if there's secondary gain to be involved in the loss of the sense of smell and taste, are there ways when you perform tests you can tell if there are certain diversions from what's the norm? Well, that's a good question. The University of Pennsylvania smell test is a forced choice. So that is a little helpful. For example, if you were faking a smell problem, in other words, you said to me, I can't smell anything, doc, and the person has to smell the capsule, okay, there are 40 of them, and he has to put an answer. You have four choices. Well, if you were to close your eyes and guess, you would probably get at least five or six right, just by chance. Well, these people, and I've seen a number of them, they get zero. And in order to get zero, there's no way you can get zero unless you're faking it because they know the answer and they put something else down, which is nothing. So those are probably malingerers. Those are people that are probably fake. It's impossible to get zero if you were to choose one answer out of 40 different questions. That's not the best test for malingering, but it certainly helps. The taste system is more difficult because, again, it's pretty hard to knock out sweet, sour, bitter, and salt. I don't care what the cause is. And they get zero out of 16. That's unusual. I think the worst taste test that I've ever seen is maybe five out of 16, which is pretty abnormal. But zero or one, you, re- you start questioning that person's reliability. Ron, let's switch gears a little bit. What got you to write this book about smell and taste disorders? As I mentioned to you, in 1996, I lost my smell from a virus. Most of us don't know a thing, and you could go back to medical school. Uh, we don't learn much in medical school on smell or taste. It's not something that's a big deal. We saw practically no people. We learned very few anatomy. The ear, nose, and throat specialists, I mean, they learn that mostly for diseases of the nose, but they're not experts in smell either. So when I lost my smell, I was concerned. But more importantly, around that time in 1996, there was a paper published, and it says Alzheimer's patients have an abnormal smell, and you can diagnose Alzheimer's disease by biopsy, take a biopsy of the smell organ in the nose. And I'm a a cognitive neurologist. My main interest in neurology has been memory and Alzheimer's. So I said to myself, hey, I got a problem. Maybe it's something. I wasn't worried about Alzheimer's. So I went to see Dr. Doty at the University of Pennsylvania, spent two or three days just to see what he does, how he evaluates people. I took that, started reading, and then I opened my clinic. I noticed that very few people know about this. I mean, I felt I was probably the world's expert. I'm kidding, but... And then I noticed there was nothing out there for the public. All the books were scientific. 
So I said, let's put together a very ABC book for people. What we included in our book, which has been unique, is that one of the treatments, not a cure, is changes in food preparation. And based on my comments when you asked me how the smell system works, if we understand flavors and we understand tastes and understand spices and what these people lose, then we have some suggestions in food preparation, either recipes or changes which are not original to us, but we brought them out to the fore. And there's never been anything published like this that recommends certain recipes, even though, again, these are not our recipes. They're not patented by us, but we got permission to use them, and we tested some of them in our clinic. So our book gives us a very basic overview of smell and taste that anybody can read, and B, there's some suggestions in food preparation, which is the first time anybody has put that in a book. So that's why we did it. I wanted to mention that. Now, you collaborated with a food consultant, Marjorie Calvert, on the book. What made you decide to do that? When I started reading and opened my clinic, you look at some articles, and what do they say? Well, be sure that you add more spice and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and I understood why, but they don't really say that. And then, you know, lots of people don't really want to play around with spice. Somebody would like a recipe. So anyway, Margie's actually my sister-in-law. She works at the Four Seasons in Austin. She's catering manager. And I said, look, let's sit down. I'm going to talk to you about what I think we would do. Is there ways we can consider some changes in food preparation? And I explained to her what we're telling you now, that spices and all that. So she got together with the sous chef, and they came up with a bunch of recipes. These are not theirs, but they looked at the ones that were more emphasizing spices and taste. And we tested in our clinic. We got about 10 people, 10 patients with a smell disorder and maybe five normals. And we gave them different samples of these recipes, and they didn't know what they were getting. All they had to do was tell us, would you eat this thing again? Is there some enjoyment? And if 50% said yes, we accepted the recipe, okay? That's an arbitrary exception. But then patients that we've seen started sending us recipes. So if you have a smell disorder and you send a recipe and tells me it's good, well, that's a pretty good testimony. We didn't test those. So we included those in our book. We know what it's like to go blind. We know what it's like to lose your hearing. But nobody has the experience of smell loss unless you've had it. So these people have a pretty miserable quality of life. And that's where we were dressing. I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Ronald DeVere, Fellow of the American Academy of Neurology and Director of the Taste and Smell Disorders Clinic in Austin, Texas. Dr. DeVere, thanks again for being our guest today on NeuroFrontiers. A pleasure. Thank you, Tony. You've been listening to NeuroFrontiers on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. NeuroFrontiers is produced in cooperation with the American Academy of Neurology. For more information about this or any other show, please visit ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts.